Greetings, and welcome to the Highest Court Report podcast. As always, I'm your host, Connor, and thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to take a look at a recent dismissal of several cases on the Supreme Court docket, um, who also provided a writ of cert, and also some immigration reform that is uh, mercifully on its way from the Biden administration. This is episode four, an offer refused. On Tuesday, March 9th, all of the parties to the case Department of Homeland Security v. New York, a lawsuit challenging a Trump-era policy targeting low-income immigrants, asked the Supreme Court to dismiss that case. The court swiftly granted that request, removing from consideration one of the most contentious cases that the justices planned to hear on their docket this year. Now, this is the third time in just over a month that a major immigration case went up in smoke. In early February, the court granted requests to remove two cases, Mallorcas v. Innovation Law Lab and Biden v. Sierra Club, from its argument calendar. The Innovation Law Lab case challenged Trump's quote-unquote remain in Mexico policy, which forced thousands of migrants who seek asylum in the United States to actually wait in Mexico while their cases were being processed. The Biden administration is unwinding this dangerous policy. According to immigration experts and civil rights attorneys, um, requiring migrants to remain in Mexico or return to other countries due to reasons such as crime or poverty, impoverishment, malnutrition, is actually more dangerous to the migrant than letting them come and stay across the border in the United States. The Sierra Club case involved a challenge to Trump's attempt to divert billions of dollars appropriated for the military to the building of a wall alongside the Mexican border. Biden signed a proclamation on his first day in office stating that, quote, no more American taxpayer dollars shall be diverted to construct a border wall, end quote. The New York case, meanwhile, challenged the Trump administration's, quote unquote, public charge rule, which sought to prevent immigrants from entering the United States, extending their visa, or even obtaining a green card if immigration officials determined a particular immigrant was likely to use public assistance programs, such as food stamps or Medicaid, for example. It should be noted that the government's own statistics state that the American residents, um, mainly African Americans and poor white people in red states, are the primary beneficiaries of programs such as food stamps or Medicaid, not illegal immigrants. Now, President Biden has called for a formal review of this policy, and the Supreme Court's decision to no longer hear this case should allow lower court orders blocking the policy in much of the country to take effect. The Supreme Court's decision to dismiss the New York case is not, in particular circumstances, surprising. It would be extraordinary for any court to hear a case that all parties agreed should be dismissed. But it is likely to be an important victory for immigrants. Although several lower courts had ruled against the public charge rule, the Supreme Court temporarily reinstated that rule in early 2020, voting 5-4 to four along party lines. And that was actually before the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement with Justice Amy Coney Barrett moved the court even further to the right than it already had been. Had the courts issued a final decision upholding the public charge rule, future presidents could have simply relied on that decision to essentially reinstate the rule, 
even if the Biden administration actually intends to abandon it. Now, interestingly enough, considering how we had spoken about the heft and the, the scope of the docket for the Supreme Court this year and most likely in years to come, this term so far, at the very least, uh, has taken up rather fewer cases than it normally does in this given time span. The anticlimactic resolutions of the New York Innovation Law Labs and Sierra Club cases are a somewhat of a reminder that elections do indeed have consequences. It is likely that the Supreme Court would have simply upheld all three policies if Trump had still been in office. But the court also planned to hear surprisingly few cases during its current term, even before the Biden administration had asked to start removing some of these cases. Each year, the Supreme Court begins a new term in October, and it typically finishes that term in the following June. Over the intervening months, the court typically holds seven sittings, so to speak, five or six day blocks, where the justices will ordinarily hear two cases per day. Thus, in a regular sitting, the justices will hear 10 to 12 cases. This term, however, the courts has actually heard fewer cases than it usually does. It heard only eight cases in its entire November sitting, five in its January sitting, and six in its February sitting. The justices do plan to hear only seven cases in the March sitting. Now, law experts uh, and um, court experts have made the assumption that this certainly has something to do with the pandemic. However, considering the nature of remote um, activity throughout the courts, it seems that there is a bit more at play here. And indeed, there are a number of possible explanations for this unusually slow workload. As aforementioned, the pandemic has forced the justices to close their building to the public and to hold oral arguments remotely. And the pandemic may have also slowed down lower courts, meaning that there are fewer decisions to appeal to the justices themselves due to the nature of case law. Something else that hasn't been noted upon is that, typically, uh, the court's membership has uh, also changed significantly in the recent years. President Trump appointed three justices during his four-year term, uh, so the justices may want to spend some time getting comfortable with each other and learning how their new colleagues are likely to vote in important cases. Um, and this could just be to feel each other out, or it is important to know before filling up their calendar with new arguments. Further, the justices may also feel like they are politically vulnerable at the moment, given that Congress and the White House are both controlled by Democrats, who are quite aware of how the court's current 6-3 Republican majority had come into being. Shortly after Justice Antonin Scalia died in February of 2016, Senate Republicans refused to hold a confirmation hearing for President Obama's Supreme Court nominee, Merrick Garland. At the time, they claimed that the Senate should not confirm new justices during a presidential election year. Now, obviously, that hypocrisy did not carry over. When Ginsburg sadly died in September of 2020, Republicans literally abandoned this rule and actually went entirely 180 on their opinions beforehand. You can just Google search Lindsey Graham or Mitch McConnell 
in their speeches in 2016 versus what they said in 2020. Hypocrisy knows no bounds, to be sure. And rightfully so, Justice Barrett was confirmed just eight days before the 2020 presidential election. This led many Democrats to call for an aggressive response, such as adding additional seats to the nine-justice court to dilute the votes of Trump's justices. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has said that, quote-unquote, nothing is off the table when it comes to the Supreme Court. So it is possible that the justices may just be laying low, politically speaking at least, in order to discourage Democrats from expanding the court itself. Now, of course, this does not mean that this term is a total sleeper. The justices still heard a case seeking to repeal the Affordable Care Act, or ACA, otherwise known as Obamacare, a second case that could give religious conservatives a broad new right to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people, and a third case that could gut what remains of the Voting Rights Act. The court is likely to hand down its decisions in those cases in June, though perhaps later. And of course, none of this is even referencing the shadow docket which has addressed many, many things, including voting rights, including LGBTQ plus rights, um, police reform, social justice reform, and the interesting uh, First Amendment uh, and freedom of assembly rights that we had discussed in previous episodes, whereby in Supreme Court rulings, they basically state that religious institutions or religious practitioners can dismiss public health rulings as long as they perceive it to overwhelm their First Amendment rights. Furthermore, there are a host of state court and appellate court dockets uh, and cases that are teeming with highly justiciable and politically driven cases, which indeed may find their way to this highest court. There has been conjecture that more and more Republican lawmakers at all levels of government, from state to local to federal, will all continue to challenge Biden policy, cabinet appointments, executive orders, etc. A, a stark example of this is the actions recently of Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of QAnon lore and Northern Georgia representative. Um, she has attempted to adjourn the House ses session several times already, despite the fact that she has no committee assignments, or rather I should say she was stripped of these committee assignments and therefore nothing to actually do with her time, other than to create dissent throughout Congress. And, of course, uh, this doesn't even consider the fact that despite the Republican counties and states will be utilizing more COVID aid than Democratic-led states and counties, not a single GOP politician in Congress voted for the relief package that just passed and was signed into law by President Biden. The House has passed or proposed over a dozen or so pieces of legislation that a majority of Americans find important in their lives, given recent Pew research and other polling. Closing the gun show loophole, background check universality for gun sales, prison and jail reform, police reform, voting rights protection, gerrymandering fixes, and things like this. So considering Republican stances on the right to vote, for instance, we can be sure that we have not heard the last on this from SCOTUS. Not by a long shot. Next episode, we are going to take a look at voting rights in particular, and we will take a look at what both parties are fighting to do in either expanding or reducing the amount of people that can vote and the court's 
necessity of participating in these resolutions or bills. It should come as no surprise that the Republicans are attempting to, through hundreds of bills that have recently been proposed at state and federal level, to restrict the ability to vote, and the Democrats have correspondingly tried to fight against it. Just as an example, uh, recently an Arizona state congressman from the GOP said that that sort of quiet part out loud. State Representative John Kavanaugh stated that, quote, Democrats value as many people as possible voting, and they're willing to risk fraud. Republicans are more concerned about fraud, so we don't mind putting security measures in that won't let everyone vote. But everyone shouldn't be voting. Not everyone wants to vote. And if somebody is uninterested in voting, that probably means they're totally uninformed on the issues. Quantity is important, but we have to look at the quality of voters as well. End quote. Looking good, Republican Party. Looking good. Anyways, that is uh, for our next episode. Thank you very much for joining me again here for the Highest Court Report. Stay safe out there. This is Connor, signing off.